Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm K.W. Taylor. And I'm Carrie Gessner. Today, we're going to talk about women's soccer, Bob's Burgers, Orange is the New Black, The Addams Family, and creative writing challenges. This is going to be a jam-packed episode. Lots to get to, lots to get to. Let's start with soccer. Yes. So we want to talk about soccer because we recently went to a soccer game together. Yes, a professional women's soccer game. We saw the United States women's national team play a friendly match with Sweden in Columbus, Ohio. Yep. So we both drove out there and we met there. KW, what did you think about it? I thought it was really cold. (laughs) It was. It was freezing. It was freezing. But no, all joking aside, I thought it was really, really fun. I have never seen a professional soccer match before. Neither have I. So that was really cool. I've seen kids soccer games and I've seen bits of professional soccer games on television, but I've never seen one live in person. It was it was very exciting. That's great. I'm glad you had fun. I had a lot of fun. I really just kind of got into soccer over the summer because of the World Cup. And I've watched a few games since the World Cup. The National Women's Soccer League was playing. I think their season ended in like early October or October sometime. So I watched a few games with them on TV. And mostly it's one of those things where well, kind of all sports. I don't fully pay attention. I'm usually like writing or cleaning my room or something. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a different experience to go to a crowded stadium and yes. watch it live. Yes. One of the things I really liked was, I mean, also didn't like, <laughs> was that there were so many people there. <laughs> yes. Uh, the final crowd was like tw- over 20,000. I think yeah. it was 20,900 something. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. It was crazy. It was really, really crowded. People were super into it. The people sitting around us were (laughs) super into it. I mean, we were into it, but we were not into it like these people were. The people behind us and in front of us were going bananas. And that's that's great. They were were very into it. It It's great. Yeah, that is great. We're not into it in the way that, like, we can spout stats at people. No, no. (laughs) There was a lot of that going. Yeah, and they were like... They had some commentary going, yeah. which was good. Yeah. Because I really do enjoy the commentary when I'm watching it on TV. Yeah. Because I'm so new to it, I mostly understand it, but sometimes I don't. Mm-hmm. So without that commentary live, well, it wasn't bad. No. But, you know, no. sometimes I miss the commentary, you know? Yeah, that's kind of something I wanted to discuss was the watching sports on TV versus watching sports live. But I'm not like a huge sports fan but i am more than some people in a very 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 casual way and it's mostly because of seeing parts of games like at restaurants when i'm out and kind of deciding i'm gonna i'm gonna get into this game while i'm sitting here having dinner or whatever and just kind of casually rooting for whichever team i feel like i want to root for and i'll usually do that with whatever sport is playing but i don't watch them at home too much Although I've wanted to get more into women's sports um, to kind of support that and and whatever. But like you, I feel like I like to go to sports live. I went to a couple of baseball games this summer and it was great. And I've been to especially baseball in the past and some football in high school. But you do miss the commentary, especially if it's not a sport that you are super knowledgeable about. So yeah, so that was something of a little bit of a bummer. I felt like the things that they would announce were not things that were like that big of a deal. like. 
announcing swapping players out, I'm like, I don't know, you could just put that on the board and that's fine. We don't need a whole <laughs> <laughs> I think they have to announce that. Oh, do they have I'm to? not I'm not sure. Okay. But they really only announced substitutions and goals. Yeah, and well, and flags on the play and stuff. Flag, flags on the play. Yeah, that's football. Oh, okay. Well, there was a flag. Yeah, yellow cards. <laughs> yellow, yellow cards. cards. <laughs> there had a flag though. I don't know. It looked, it looked like a flag. Yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> the people at the end have flags, and they they will raise them or point them to see to show where the ball goes. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> But see, that's the thing is like, maybe it would have been helpful to have a little bit more in the way of commentary to help new fans or, or whatever. So so in that regard, it's better, in my opinion, to watch sports that are newer to you on TV so you can get that commentary. But then I still go back to something that we discussed long ago, many weeks ago, where in watching baseball on TV, that stupid strike zone <laughs> square is like the dumbest thing ever. I forgot about that. Yeah, it still makes me mad. Yeah, okay, that's good it. to know. Well, baseball season's over, so I know you can rest easy for a few months. <laughs> <laughs> like they don't do that on basketball. You don't see like a a rectangle around the hoop. Like I know where the hoop is. <laughs> I can see the hoop because there's no umpire behind the basket going, "Yes, that's in," or "No, <laughs> that I wasn't know. it." <laughs> All right. That's fine. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> I'm not advocating for it. I just don't think that's a proper analogy it's not a hill to die on i don't need to okay yeah so i don't i don't know if there's a better way to bridge the gap between new fans watching on tv and being able to get the commentary there and also a lot of times i will be following games on on twitter Mm. and i get people's commentary that way so i don't know if there's a good way to bridge the gap between that and going to a game and not having a lot of that around I think it's really similar to um, when you interviewed Jeff last week, mm-hmm. how to get involved in RPGs when you're a new player. Yeah. You kind of always need someone to guide you, someone who has been in it longer. Mm-hmm. That's how I learned baseball. My dad and I would watch games and he, he would take me to the games and he taught me to um, keep score. So if you're an adult and you want to get into it, I think it's I think it can sometimes be hard. Mm-hmm. Because you don't have someone to say, hey, here's what's going on. This is what offsides is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's soccer is not a super complicated game, in my opinion. So I really did get quite a bit of it and stuff that I did know from watching amateur soccer. But there was things that did still surprise me. And it would have been fun to like get a little primer beforehand. I think one solution could be to invent some kind of technology that would allow the people putting the game on, like the, the facility, if they had an announcer to have some kind of closed audio network that you could get through streaming on your phone and you could just oh that would be cool listen to it while the game is going on yeah i think that could be neat because i can understand that if you're really well versed in it you don't need all that and especially i don't know if you've noticed this but baseball games live there's a lot of like silliness that goes on in between you know because there's a lot of downtime in baseball and yeah with soccer it's really much tighter and so there's not a lot of room for little little bits that they could do to be instructional. Um, right. So I think that doing some kind of closed closed audio commentary or even closed captioned audio commentary would be um, would be a help. That's a good idea. You should suggest it to the NWSL. Okay, I will. <laughs> I just have. <laughs> <laughs> we'll at them when we put out this episode. <laughs> we will. That's a good idea. So to uh, change gears completely, to have a very awkward 
segue, Carrie. I know that you're a huge fan of Bob's Burgers, and I have never seen this show. So sell me on Bob's Burgers. I'm the worst at selling people on things. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if this is going to work, because I think anyone who has been listening has noticed that you're the more articulate one. I'm just kind of like, I love this thing. Please go watch it (laughs) and talk to me about it. But yeah, so Bob's Burgers is a Fox show. You can catch the seasons on Hulu if you have Hulu. It's in the 10th season. Wow. I know. And it was created by Lauren Bouchard. I got into it kind of the way you might get into it, which is that one of my really good friends was like, I love this show. Please watch it. So I have something to talk about it with. (laughs) At the time, the first like four seasons were on Netflix. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at it. It took me a little while to get into it. Um, and I think that's just me too, because every pilot we watch, I'm like, oh, it took me a while to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> like every single show is that for me. And I think the first season isn't the strongest, but by the second season, I was really sold on it. So it's about a family called the Belchers. They run a burger restaurant called called Bob's Burgers because Bob is the dad. Uh, he's married to Linda. And then they have three kids, Tina, Jean, and Louise. And they're all really weird and funny. <laughs> I can't, yeah, it's it's really hard to explain. They're just all kind of out there. Like Linda, she sings a lot. And Bob's always worried about the restaurant, which is, it's good. That's, that's good to do, Bob. But he's also like really into cooking. So there's this one, or there's this one episode where, um, well, like all the Thanksgiving episodes, he has to get the turkey like just right. Okay, but like Tina, um, I really, I really identify with Tina because she's real awkward. Um, she wears glasses, and every time she gets in a situation that she doesn't know what to do in, she just, <laughs> she just groans. She's like, uh, and I feel like that's me a lot. And Gene is the only boy in the family, and he, he also sings a lot. He uh, writes like little jingles, and he carries around his uh, little. one of those little keyboard things you know like a keyboard (laughs) like a keytar uh it's not a keytar but like he can he can record sounds and stuff on it too oh okay so i don't know exactly what it is but a recordable keyboard (laughs) mini keyboard i don't know anyway and then louise wears these pink bunny ears and never takes them off and um she is kind of she's kind of like mean she's the mean one in the family (laughs) And she's the youngest. She's like nine. And then there's a family friend named Teddy who he's a handyman and he always comes to the restaurant to eat burgers. And he's a little bit sad, but he loves the Belchers. And I think I would have to say I'm a mix between Tina and Teddy. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, they're silly short episodes. They're like 20 minutes. And one of the things that I really love is that they incorporate music a lot. So not only do they do the characters like sometimes sing their own ditties and stuff, but there are like full out musical numbers in them and they write original songs for them. And there I just I need you to hear some, but at the same time, without context, they might not make sense. <laughs> and part of me wants to sing some. Mm. But also, I <laughs> that might be a copyright violation. <laughs> uh, I thought you were just like I don't want you to sing. No, no, no. no. I, I think we, I think we would probably need to pay a royalty, so we should just not. Oh, do that. dang it! <laughs> so, um, after this episode, you can 
go to our Spotify playlist, which we will link somewhere. And hopefully you can listen to a couple of the Bob's Burgers songs if they are on there. So a couple of my favorite episodes, I will just do this real fast. Um, one of the songs that I really love is called Bad Stuff Happens in the Bathroom. <laughs> because, well, well, because, okay, so Bob, his restaurant's not doing super well. They really, like really don't have a lot of customers ever. But um, he really loves it. And he gets this interview with Coasters Magazine to do a feature on the restaurant or something. And he's really excited. And I guess Gene goes into the restaurant bathroom every day at like the same time. And Louise tries to play a joke by putting super glue on the seat. (laughs) And Bob gets stuck there instead. And he has this big interview. And then he starts singing Bad Stuff Happens in the Bathroom. And that's a great episode. And there's an episode called V for Valentine Detta. Tina has this, she's kind of boy crazy and she has a crush on Jimmy Jr. whose dad has a restaurant across the street uh, called Jimmy Pesto's and Jimmy and Bob have, have a rivalry. Jimmy Jr. takes someone else out for Valentine's Day and Tina gets really upset. So Linda, Louise, and Tina, they take Bob's Valentine gift like bob's gift for linda which is a limo ride around town and it's like this pink limo and the limo driver's name is nat and she's just like let's go find this boy and (laughs) they go and stalk him at the restaurant and it's i don't know it's hilarious and then meanwhile gene and bob take the gift that linda had bought which is like a couple's trapeze (laughs) thing And they, I don't know. It's so it's so hard to describe because I think you just have to see it because it's so silly. I love it. And because they're short episodes, it's really good for when like I'm feeling stressed or I come home from work and I just want to, it's not always laugh out loud funny, but if I just want to be cheered up a little bit, I'll, I'll put it on an episode. Let me ask you one thing. The um, one thing you didn't mention, I don't think, is that it's animated, right? Yes. Did I not mention that? I don't, I don't know if you said that or not, but I have seen like clips of it or commercials and stuff. And the animation style looks really kind of quirky and interesting. Yeah, I would agree. I'll try it out. I finished, I just finished a sitcom. So I will, I will maybe add this to my rotation. Okay. Yeah. It's one of those things where you don't have to watch them all in order. Mm. So I wrote some favorite episodes if you want to check out some of those. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Now that I've rambled about Bob's Burgers, will you tell me about Orange is the New Black? Yes. So this show just ended. Orange is the New Black is a show on Netflix, and it just finished its seventh season, seventh and final season. Um, This premiered back in 2013. It was one of, I don't think it was the first original Netflix series, but it was certainly one of the first, and it was definitely uh, one of the longest running. I think some estimates say that it's Netflix's most watched original series. It's won a lot of Emmys. Something that's weird about it is that it's been nominated as both a comedy and a drama at different points, which I think is telling. It's very strange tonally. So essentially, this is based on a memoir by uh, a woman named Piper Kerman. In real life, Piper Kerman went to federal prison for drug trafficking. She wrote, I read the book a long time ago. It's very much more serious and less all over the place and wild than the stuff that happens on the show. And the real Piper Kerman was not in prison really that long. She was only in for about a year. 
the show kind of bases itself on that and fictionalizes it a great deal. And it's set in New York State uh, federal prison, a fictional federal prison called Litchfield Penitentiary. And it's a women's prison. And so you follow both the inmates and the guards and the administrators and sometimes their loved ones left at home. And they often have um, flashbacks that depict the inmates' lives before they wound up in prison. This starts out in a minimum security federal prison. So a lot of the crimes, not all the crimes, but a lot of the crimes are nonviolent. And so it's just sort of kind of about different types of people coming together in this forced environment and and either getting along or not um, and trying to either get released or in some cases there's efforts to stay in prison if there's not really anything waiting for you on the outside. And I just finished the seventh and final season and um, I thought the ending was mostly satisfying in a lot of ways. Mostly. Well, I mean, you can't wrap everything up. And for a lot of the characters, they're going to still be in prison at the end. So yeah, some people have life sentences. Some people over the course of the series have died in prison. Some of the stories end happily, some don't. And again, that, that speaks to its genre as a being a, a comedy drama or a dramedy that it can get really heavy. There was a lot of stuff in the final season about ICE and federal detention of undocumented immigrants. And that was a very timely storyline. And so a lot of it's pretty heartbreaking, but it is really balanced by a lot of moments of positivity and hope. And that's something that I've always really admired about the show. When I talk to younger people about issues surrounding incarceration and also even intersectional feminism, they will often bring up Orange is the New Black voluntarily as something that taught them the importance of some of those issues. It's a very diverse cast and it's largely female. So that's been kind of, um, I think, a good thing. Although I would love to see an equally diverse show with a lot of women in it that isn't set in prison. It's a good point. Yeah. But um, I mean, it, it creates an interesting environment that can be a microcosm of a lot of things. And I'm sure every time that a new season of this show started, I would I would always remark to myself, that, man, they must get this show on the cheap in terms of the sets and costuming because you're just in, you know, prison garb in this institutional generic environment. So you're not doing a lot of set dressing or costuming or makeup for that matter. That's true. (laughs) But it really it really launched the careers of several people who have since left the show and gone on to other things like Ruby Rose was on this show. And now she's Batwoman on the CW. Laverne Cox was on this show and she's since gone on to several other series. So it's, I mean, I really like it. I have a a lot of, a lot of moments feel really upsetting. It can be a little bit dark and violent at times, but I think that in terms of showing what prison life might be like for women, it's, it's an interesting show. Have you seen very much of it? I watched the first episode and again, (laughs) I wasn't super into it. (laughs) Okay. So you, if you wanted to pick it back up, you've got seven whole seasons and the seasons for a Netflix show, they're 13 episodes long each. So you have a lot there, which is great and allows for a ton of character development. But it is a little bit, I think that a lot of people who have watched it through the whole series do feel like it has a lot of peaks and valleys in terms of quality or in terms of storylines that are interesting or there's moments that are incredibly heartbreaking that make it really real. But you know what, for ha- for being a vehicle for these mostly stage trained actresses living in New York City is where it's where it's filmed. You have like top of the line performances here. So that's something that you would definitely appreciate. 
there are definitely things that sound really good about it that I would like about it. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll give it another shot. Yeah, try it out. I, I will also say just as a little nerd thing, I saw the real Piper Kerman speak at my university a couple of years ago. How was that? That was really cool. She actually lives in Ohio, which is where I live. And she teaches creative writing. And part of what she does is also do prison reform stuff and teaching creative writing in prisons since she's been released. And she was really cool. Um, She had a lot to say about what she wants to do with prison reform in real life. And she also is very philosophical and tactful and kind about the show because it took extreme liberties with her book and paints her life very differently from the reality. Uh, But she is like, hey, it's brought all this attention to the issue. And she acts as a consultant on it. So it's not like she doesn't have some involvement. But I think that would seem really weird if your life story that was generally pretty dramatic and, and whatever is is played sometimes for laughs and sometimes exaggerated quite a bit for TV. But yeah, but she seems very cool. Yeah. Neat. It's always cool to, to hear people, hear writers talk. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Great. Uh, so two very different shows, but yes, they bring us joy in different ways. Yes. So that's great. <laughs> and uh, we're going to do one more show. We watched the pilot of the 1964 show the adams family yes this was originally on abc for two seasons but this just kind of tells you again how back in the day they used to make their seasons were so long because it was only on two seasons and yet there's 64 episodes wow that means there was like 32 episodes a season that's crazy Okay, do you want to do just a short plot overview and then we'll get into what we thought? Yeah, so the premise of this show, I I think people are kind of familiar with the idea of the Adams Family, which was originally invented by a cartoonist for The New Yorker, Charles Adams. And note that that's Adams with two Ds. It really bugs me when people only spell it with one D. But he he didn't even have names for these characters. They were just supposed to be this strange family that he would draw cartoons about. And then they adapted into this show. And then later they made the films in the 90s with um, Raul Julia and Angelica Houston, which were big hits. And there's been subsequent revivals and Broadway musical. And there's a new cartoon um, that's out or an animated film that's out now. But the essential premise is that this it's a family who are eccentric and quote unquote spooky. And they just are a little bit quirky and different. They're not actual monsters the way the monsters show was they're just kind of odd i guess yeah i mean it's a very high concept show that's basically the whole plot they are different they're different (laughs) and they're and they're different because they are into they're basically like a halloween family (laughs) yeah yeah well and they're goths they're 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 pre-goth goths they (laughs) are countercultural. they're into the dark and macabre yes that's a good way of putting it. In the first episode, I think it's called The Adams Family Goes to School. Basically, they have two kids, Wednesday, who is six, I believe, and Pugsley. Pugsley's eight. And the truant officer, Mr. Hilliard, comes to the house and is like, hey, you have kids and they're not in school. You need to take them to school. Then they go to school and uh, Wednesday comes back crying because... She's read a story in her Grimm's fairy tale book where the knight in shining armor kills a dragon and the whole family is like, why would you kill a poor innocent dragon? (laughs) And then Mr. Hilliard comes back and they're like, this is unacceptable. You shouldn't have violence like this in schools. And he was like, you know what? 
yeah, maybe you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, you go from dragons and then he says to toy guns, to real guns, to bombs, to the atoms, atom bomb. And he kind of, it gets carried away, I think. And he promises to talk to the school board about the book. And then that's kind of, that's kind of the end of the episode. Um, And the whole thing is, it sets up the family. And I mean, the whole first five minutes is them just being in their in their weird house that's got i can't even describe some of the stuff they've they've got around but there's a hand that comes out of the mailbox and then is the hand in the mailbox the thing yeah too? yeah okay yeah and then and then the thing is also it's just a, a disembodied hand in the house who does things and they've got a bunch of weird spooky stuff up on the walls and morticia has a conservatory where she keeps things like poison oak and all the kind of weird plants yeah so it's it's a lot of just setting up the family and how different they are and gomez the dad has like a train set that he deliberately tries to make the trains crash he wants to watch the explosion and for some reason i think that's randomly kind of funny yeah i read as i was doing research on this that they only filmed that train crash once and then every time he would do it in later episodes, they would just show that same footage. Again. <laughs> I guess it's expensive to crash a really nice set of little model trains. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cute. I don't know how clear they made this. The dad, Gomez, is a lawyer. And there's something privileged about their behavior. They're very, they're actually very wealthy. And he apparently does very well. And it's not like they didn't go to school and stuff. But their wealth and privilege affords them to be able to be so eccentric and strange and have all these bizarre things in their house. But a lot of them probably are very expensive. They've got this giant stuffed bear in the living room and these real fur rugs everywhere. And yeah, and the, the mom, Morticia, is always shown wearing this little evening gown like all day, every day, <laughs> which is very gothy looking, but it also is probably really like expensive and nice. And so... That was something that struck me watching it this time. I didn't know that he was a lawyer, so I didn't, yeah. re- I didn't really connect that. I don't know that they mention it, and they might mention it in passing, but I think that came up in my research as I was just making sure I had my details right. But uh, I just thought, I think I just headcanoned that it was a family house, like all this stuff had been passed down to them for some reason. Yeah, probably that's true of a lot of it, but I think they also are, are supposed to have like old wealth but also that he is pretty successful, even though he seems totally crazy. And I don't know that they ever say what kind of law he practices, but there's the idea that there's an extended family that maybe they're tapped into doing work for them. So there's the mom and the dad and the two kids. They've also got Uncle Fester, who is, I think he's supposed to be Morticia's brother. I don't know that they ever explain that. And he's kind of quirky and weird and bald and wears like a long tunic. Then there's their grandmother, who, again, I think is supposed to be Morticia's mother. She almost seems like a witch. <laughs> She's got frazzly hair and, yeah. and makes potions. Do you remember um, the King Arthur Disney movie? Oh, Sword in the Stone? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, do you remember, uh, I think her name is like Mims or something? Yes. She's the, yes. Doesn't she kind of remind you of, of her? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So like very witchy. Fine. Very witchy, but not not in a negative way. She seems like a like an herbal witch who might make potions for healing or something. <laughs> I know that in the films they play up Wednesday being much more creepy than she is in the show. The the kids seem a little bit normal, although Wednesday wants her dolls to be decapitated. 
Well, she has a good reason. They just learned about Marie Antoinette. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And Pugs- Pugsley, though, maybe seems like the most normal of all of them. I liked that the parents are in love with each other and seem to have a really affectionate relationship and that they're very supportive of their children. That was cool. Yeah, I really like that, too. And I really like that Gomez's reason for not wanting the kids to go to school is that he'll be lost without them. And I just thought that was kind of cute. I was like, oh, he loves them so much. He just wants to be with them all day. That's cute. Yeah. Yeah. There's the idea that no one works outside of the home. They, They all just stay there all day. Yeah. So I think it's really cool that they portray a family that is actually like from the outside looks really weird. But from the inside, I mean, they all do have affection for each other and are a normal functioning family, which is maybe more than you could say about a family who looks normal, perhaps. Yes, I think that's kind of one of the undercurrent points and themes that they're trying to portray is that they are healthy and functional and that, you know, it's probably in the early 60s, maybe this is an allegory for something more deep like integrated neighborhoods and stuff. So when we boil it down, what what do you think? Do you think you would watch more of this? Or did you ever watch this before? You know what? I can't remember. I might have watched some of it when I was a kid, but I really more remember watching The Monsters. The Monsters was my thing when I was a kid. Okay. Um, so I don't really remember this too much, but I thought it was really cute. I don't, as with every pilot we've watched i'm not sure if i would watch more of it yeah (laughs) what did you think that's kind of my feeling i watched this whole show when i was pretty little like it was on in reruns and i remember little friends of mine and i being really into it as little kids but like little little like like primary school i also feel like in the intervening years and again i'm a little bit older than you but i went i went through the height of goth subculture in real life in real time And um, I feel like now that we're sort of to the point culturally where that's a little bit over, but kind of some people are still really into it and whatever, that a lot of this stuff doesn't seem that weird anymore. They seem a lot more normal. Like, this is how people I know behave and nobody thinks anything of it. (laughs) Maybe to a slightly heightened degree, like we're not, nobody has like disembodied hands in their, in their mailbox, but but yeah, like a lot of the decor and behavior and manner of dress does not seem that strange anymore. And so to me, it didn't really land any longer. And so I don't think I would keep watching it. I will say I do not love the movies, mostly because I think they made it seem like there was an air of supernaturalness about them that wasn't canonically there. So I prefer this to the movies, but I also kind of think maybe I'm too old now. I don't know. Hmm. It's cute. I think it like if you've got little kids, it's there's bits of it that are a little bit macabre, but not so much that little kids couldn't watch it. Yeah. I could see myself in three or four years, maybe when my niece and nephew are like five to eight years old. I can see me putting this on for them and sitting down to watch a couple episodes with them. Yeah. But right now, I don't think I'd watch more on my own. No, no, I wouldn't. I, I mean, it's cute. I, I did chuckle a couple times, but I also kind of remembered it a little bit more than I thought I would. So um, I think I'm just kind of, yeah. Yep. Yeah. But it's good. It's If you like things that are quirky but wholesome, 
if you want something for your kids to watch that's pretty G-rated, but that you could still enjoy it with them, and maybe if you've never seen this, it's totally right for that. I agree. And with that, we continue our streak of watching pilots that we're not going to continue. Yeah. We will find something that we will want to continue. I'm pretty sure. I hope so. If you have suggestions for us, please, please let us know on our Twitter or email us. But we also watch a lot of TV, so we might have seen a lot of it already. (laughs) Maybe that's the problem. We're, We're scraping the bottom of the barrel of stuff that we are like there. Maybe there's a reason we're not watching these already. I don't. Th- I wouldn't say scraping the bottom of the barrel. I don't think they're bad shows. No. Well, I mean, some of these are classics that yeah. either we are we have already watched or or they're classics for a reason. But in in terms of like viewing them through where we are currently in our lives and and where culture and society is currently, it's just different things will resonate. So I think that's important to note. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. So I I think it's my turn to pick the next one. I will try to pick us something that we might continue watching. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, moving on from TV, KW, you have a new writing project. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, I wanted to mention this, even though I know this episode is probably going a little bit long, but because we're right at the beginning of December, as this is coming out, I have just put out a new ebook. It's a very short little ebook. It's a Kindle exclusive, and it's called Advent Writing. And the goal of this is that in the season leading up to Christmas. There's a lot of Advent calendars that come out. And so I created my own that's a set of 24 writing prompts. Um, and I would say that they're for early, intermediate, through advanced creative writers um, or people who want to get better with creative writing. And the idea is you have a new prompt every day, which either is a new poem or short story, or it's working on one that you started a couple of days previously. Um, I guide you through some prompts. It's not all holiday themed or anything, but but the idea is that if you want to try to take advantage of some of them, maybe if you're if you're off for parts of December, maybe you have more time to write. If you've always wanted to get into some some writing that you don't have time for, this is a great way to do it. It's only 99 cents or it's free if you have Kindle Unlimited. And you can just search for KW Taylor Advent Writing on Amazon. That sounds great. Thank thanks. you. I'm, I'm going to check it out. Cool. Thanks. What are we going to talk about next time? I don't know. I think we're going to talk about more exciting pop culture things. Great. We're keeping it vague. <laughs> We're keeping it vague. <laughs> Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find me on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. And if you want to email us with pilots or just suggestions for things to consume, you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.